let's talk a bit this morning about our series. We, we've been preaching in a series as our vision series. We've called it 1010 in 2020. We're going back to 1010. Mark always says we put our vision up on the wall so that we don't forget it. The reality is it's so that he doesn't forget it. <laughs> but in truth, in truth, sometimes when you're standing up here and you're talking, you strike a blank. So it is helpful to do that. <laughs> and so you reach far as up. That's it. That's the vision. Fantastic. But can I just say, as a church, as a leadership, we process all of our decisions, all of our decisions through that lens. So we've got to make a decision. We've made a decision to plant a church in the city. We processed it through that. Are we reaching far? If by planting a church, there, will we reach people that are far from God? We believe we will. Will we raise up people in Him? Will we disciple people? Yes, we believe we will. And will we then be able to release people wide for His kingdom advancement? Yes. And so that's been the, the crux of what we've been speaking about over the last few weeks. We have centered around John 10.10, 10. hence the name 10.10. 10. It's very clever. And um, what's, what's, what's clear about this scripture is that there are two main themes here. Number one, there is an enemy. Simple as that. Whether you like it or not, there is an enemy. He's not a nice guy. His mandate, his aim is to take us out. It is to annihilate us. Yeah? To kill, to steal, and destroy is pretty much annihilation. But there's a big but in that verse. And that big but is what Jesus said he came to do. Because he too has a mandate. The exact opposite of our enemy. His mandate is about life. But not just life, but life more abundantly. Life to the full. I want to read you something. And... Um, I recently turned 46, and so what happens when you start approaching 50 is this. Uh, so unlike my brother who always moans that the light's too not bright enough, I'm going to put these on so that I can see what I'm saying. A Bible commentator wrote this about abundant life. This is one of the grandest of our Lord's claims. Those who receive life from Him have within them perennial sources of life for others, fullness of being. One of the characteristics of life is abundance of supply beyond immediate possibility of use. Life has the future in its arms. Life propagates new life. Life has untold capacities about it. Beauty, fragrance, strength, growth, variety, reproduction, Resistance to death, continuity, and eternity. I read that, and I go, yes, please. I read that, and I go, I get it. Abundant life, that is it in, in its essence. I want that, Lord. So I'm going to ask you this morning, because I would, if I had to ask every one of you here this morning, there would not be a single person who said they do not want that. Everyone would say yes. So why then? Do we settle for less? That's the question this morning. If abundant life is on offer in every aspect of our lives, why do we settle for less? So if you want to put a title to today's sermon, it is, Do Not Settle. I'm not talking about the good side of settling, because we can do good settling. If I settle my debt... It's a good thing. If I settle down, 
the wild ones, yeah, you settle down, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about giving up. I'm talking about settling for less than what God has in store for me. Why do we settle? Why do we settle in relationships? God calls out to have relationship with his sons and daughters. It was so evident in his past three weeks of fasting. But somehow we seem to settle for less. A God who is inclined to us, who, who hears our cries, who wants to commune with us, speak with us, but yet we settle for less. Why do we settle for less in our marriages? Some of you don't know Wally and Shells, and you're going to meet them soon. Wally always used to say this, marriage can either be heaven on earth or hell on earth. You decide what you want. I don't want hell on earth. But why is it then that I know God has so much more in store for me in my marriage? Why is it that I settle for less? What about our finances and our generosity? We so often err on the side of practicality. So what I'm saying here is, you know, sometimes things are tight. And I kind of lean towards, you know the old joke, he has short arms and long pockets. Well, it's just me, I'm just stingy. It's just who I am. And I settle there. When God's calling me to so much more, so much more in store for me, if I start leaning into generosity. What about work? We are, it's, it's a fact. Times are tough. Economics, we're under pressure. I'm in the IT industry. We hear it every day. Our customers are constantly telling us there's no more money. Why do we settle, though, when God says his economy is different? His ways are different. We don't understand them. But yet I hear all this negativity, and I, hear, and I take it on. I'm like, ah, oh, I settle. I'm talking about throwing in the towel. I'm talking about accepting that those are the cards I've been dealt. That's it. I, as I prepared for this sermon, I found myself repenting. Let me tell you why. I often use the phrase, it is what it is. I felt God kind of convict me on that. Because if I'm talking to myself like that, saying, well, it just is what it is. Yeah? How am I living out my life? Yeah? How am, I, how am I speaking to everybody else? Yeah? How am I in my relationship with him? Am I trusting him for his abundance? Or am I simply just, ah, that's life. That's life. It is what it is. Accept it. <laughs> life abundantly means that by his grace, he will empower you to overcome your circumstances and every disappointment that life will throw at you. But I'm going to say this this morning. A choice needs to be made. A choice needs to be made. I'm going to talk about that choice in a little bit. But why then? Why do we settle? We read the scriptures. We know God has more. 
but yet we're still prone to it. Well, the reality is we're human. And sometimes our humanness takes over. I used to suffer massively from apathy. And every now and then it can still rear its ugly head. Where I just don't care. I'd sit on the fence with everything. But what's quite clear in the scriptures is that actually, sometimes you've got to choose. Sometimes what we do is, we say, you know what? For the sake of keeping the peace, I'm actually just going to be here. I'm not going to decide there or there. I'm just going to sit on the fence because it will keep the peace. Well, I'm going to tell you this morning, that is apathy. The Bible is quite clear. A choice needs to be made. John 10.10 is definitely, there are two things at play here. There's either death or life. What about doubt and unbelief and cynicism? I can be cynical. I can look at things, ah, that's just silly. And sometimes I read the word and I hear, and I, oh, that's silly. In my humanness, I settle because I become cynical. In my comfort and my laziness, I can settle. Well, I just don't want to risk anything. I'm happy here. I'm going to stay here. I know there's potentially more, but actually I'm going to park here. And I become comfortable and lazy. What about fear? Some of you might have heard of Jim Carrey. He's not a preacher. Some of you don't know him. Um, the comedian actor said, I found this quote. He said, so many of us choose our paths in life out of fear disguised as practicality. So often, I'm just being practical. I can be a very practical guy. Ask my wife. She hates it. Yeah, I'm like, always. Oh, I got a list. If we do this, this, this. Actually, you know, sometimes, throw the practicality away and trust God. Yeah? Because that practicality is often disguising fear. And what happens? We settle. We settle for less than what He has in store. What about unmet expectations? All of us set expectations. But many a time they're not met. And in that disappointment, we settle. So many of us had a, had a picture of what life was going to be. I wanted that life. But along the way, stuff happened. Along the way, I made bad decisions, bad choices, and I didn't end up with that life. I've got this one. What happens? I settle here. Well, that's it. It's just here. That's life. It is what it is. And lastly, I want to say, what about our personalities? And some of you are going, what? what are you talking about, dude? Sometimes we settle and we just say, well, that's just my personality. You've got to deal with my anger issues. That's how God made me. Let's leave it. Let's just settle there. I'm a, I, I'm a volatile guy. When I got saved in this church almost 12 years ago, uh, I had no friends. I know it's so hard to believe. <laughs> One of my defaults in my personality, and you're gonna, I know you're not going to be, I'm an introvert. I'm very comfortable up here with the microphone, I'm not going to lie. If 
but stick me down there, I'm less comfortable. When now I've got to talk and, and really get to know, but that, that's not my comfort space. My default is to turn around and go hide. But if I had settled for that, I wouldn't have had this. I wouldn't have had and made the most amazing friends in my life that I'll be friends with forever. Don't settle and blame it on your personality. God wants to work with that. I want us to talk about three accounts this morning. I want to, we've got three examples to quickly talk through. And for the hardcore Bible readers amongst you, you're going to be glad to know that all three are from the Old Testament, which is fantastic, eh? Yeah. <clears throat> some of you have not heard some of these stories since Sunday school times. My first example, first story, first account is the account of Jericho. So what happens there? Now, I want to encourage you guys, when you read the Bible, is to try to take a different tack. Try to put yourself in their shoes. Because so often what we do is we read the Bible, we know what the outcome was. So spoiler alert, the, the Israelites arrive at Jericho, and God gives them victory. Yeah? They do a bunch of stuff, and the walls come tumbling down, and they have victory. We read that and go, yeah, that's about right. That's, that's how things work. I want to encourage you this morning. Imagine you're Joshua and God saying, my son, this is the plan. For six days, you're going to march around this city once a day. Then you're going to go back to camp. Okay? On the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. And then you're going to blow a whole bunch of trumpets, make a noise, and guess what? The walls are going to crum crumbling down. Now, if that's me, I'm going, you're joking. <laughs> you now want me to take this information and go tell all those people over there that that's the plan. Every bit of cynicism would rise up in me, and I'd go, no, I don't think so. Assuming I did get to that point and we started the process, do you think that, I mean, maybe the first day they march around, those oaks are sitting on the wall looking at those oaks going, what, what's this about? After day three, they are mocking them. After day three, they're laughing at them. They're throwing rotten food at them. I'm, I'm at that point, I'm going, just like I'd said a few times during the fast, I'm done. <laughs> I'm over it. I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. Why are we doing this? But think about this. If they had settled on day three and said, nah, oh Lord, this is silly, and bailed, what would the outcome have been potentially? There were really only two outcomes. It was trust God for victory or turn around and go back to the desert. Those were the two options on the table. Now, we get to read the story and we say, wow, God, you brought incredible victory. But the reality is they had to obey and not settle. That's account number one. Number two is a story of a guy called... <laughs> not <laughs> when I see his name, I can't help but say, Naaman, but it's not, it's not, it's Naaman. Put it, if you can put it, there we go. It's, there's no I, it's Naaman. <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble later, but it's cool. <laughs> if you read in 2 Kings chapter 5, it's the story of this guy. Okay, so let me, let me make sure I can read this properly. So this is what it says. It says, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him 
the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He was sick. Soldiers can't do much. They got leprosy. Now, I've got to paraphrase because it's a bit of a long story, but he gets a word from somebody that says, actually, you need to go see a prophet in Israel, and they're going to tell you how this is going to get sorted out. They're going to tell you how you're going to get healed. He's excited. He packs everything up, gifts, horses, an entourage, and he goes. He ends up at the prophet Elisha's house. Pad. I'm not even sure what they had those days. He arrives. But Elisha doesn't come to see him. Elisha sends his servants to go speak to him. And they say this. They say, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Do you know how he responds to that? One of my favorite words is miffed. He was beyond miffed. He was mull. And if you read the word, it actually says this. It says, but, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. I, I read that, I go to this guy's like, do you know who I am? You send your servants. This is ridiculous. It says in the word, he is enraged. He's angry and offended. So what does he do? says, stuff you. And he leaves. He leaves. Thankfully, God's grace abounds. The servants run after them. They talk to him. And he decides, okay, I'm going to do it. Goes into the Jordan River and he is healed. He's cleansed incredibly. He had some expectations. I bet on that journey, he could just see this. And you pictured in his mind this moment that the prophet would come out to meet him, maybe kneel. And, and, and kind of give him this incredible word from God, and then uh, he'd be healed. That's how he pictured it. Unmet expectations almost cost him his healing. He turned away. He got offended. He got angry. Offense and bitterness. Ah, goodness. Nothing steals from us like that thing. I am um, I'm, I'm relatively tall. I'm certainly, I'm a bit taller than my wife, and (laughs) now I wasn't one of those, Mark often tell you, he he shot up in his latter years. Um, I didn't, I shot up, I think I I was born, and then I just went, (laughs) the problem is I was never a cute kid. Uh, I was always in trouble, because uh, they always thought, well, you're too old to be here. I'm like, ah, I'm a a kid. And um, the challenge with growing too quickly was that I ended up developing a problem in my back, and um, but brittle bones that hadn't quite formed, and it would often pinch my nerves in the base of my back, which would just, I'd literally fall over. I, could, I couldn't do anything. It was over. When that happened, I could do nothing. And so that, that was quite prevalent in my, my teen years. I became an adult, and it would, every now and then it would, it would come. And I, I, it would be horrendously painful. And this, I mean, this is embarrassing to admit, but I had conjured up, like Naaman, the same sort of picture. I kind of, I, I said, Lord, I've got faith. I've got faith that you can heal my back. Your word says we must have faith. I've got it. It's going to be good. But I kind of had formulated a picture in my mind where maybe it was kind of like 
the big pastor would arrive out of town, be a big meeting, and he'd just call me out. I mean, in this moment, and it'd be thunder and lightning, and it's wada, and woo, healed. It's, <laughs> it's embarrassing to think of it now, but it was a real thing. It was one meeting, one service, early morning, uh, morning service was over, you know, heading out, going to have coffee. And I go through that door over there, and these two youngsters, like your age, youngsters, <laughs> they, uh, hey, how's it? I'm like, hey, cool, yeah, yeah. And the one of them, he's like, hey, I just feel like the Lord said we need to pray for you. I'm like, in that moment, and that day I was really struggling with my back. He said, is there anything? Can we, what can we pray for? What's, what's, what, what can we get? I'm like, no, oh, Lord. What happened to the... <laughs> this is what, what, he was so young, so old as he was. And I, I almost said, no. I almost said, I'm good. No, it's not a problem. And I, I'm so thankful to the Lord that he arrested me in that moment and I told him about my back. And this light his eyes. He couldn't believe it. He'd heard from the Lord. He said, yes. And I'll tell you, before you even started to pray, I could feel something happening in my back. Like physically, I could feel it. And I was healed. I almost settled for pain over healing because my expectations had not been met. And I was offended with the Lord because it wasn't a big moment. It was right there by the door. No one else even heard. <laughs> Do not settle for anything more than his abundance. The third example I've got for you this morning is a lady called Lot's wife. It's her name. <laughs> People know me as Louise's husband. Uh, she's Lot's wife. Um, now, in the first two stories, the Israelites didn't settle. Naaman almost settled, but by the grace of God, he didn't. Now we talk Lot's wife. Maybe you, most of us know the story. Maybe you don't know the story. But if you look, you read in, the, in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, the Lord had become very disappointed with man. Man was living a debauched, evil life, and, he, and God had made a decision to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. However, there was a righteous man living there. His name was Lot, and the Lord said he would spare him and his family, but they got given very strict instructions. He said, you've got to leave here now, and you've got to get out of here, and you do not stop until you reach your destination. No podcasts along the way, no nothing. You go. But there was one piece of information that was extremely important. He said to them, do not look back. And as the story goes, they head off before the Lord destroys the cities. And Lot's wife looks back. And in that moment, she's turned into a pillar of salt. Most of us heard that story as kids and it was kind of weird, put of salt. If you read Luke, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. She looked back longingly to Sodom. When God 
calls us to move forward on mission and in his direction and forward for him, when he says, don't look back, it's for your own good. That's not for him, but for you. Because what ends up happening is we end up settling in that place where that stuff back there starts to look good again. And my heart begins to draw near to that thing. I remember a couple of years into knowing the Lord, um, things began to slip. I find myself being in a place where I began to look over my shoulder again. I kind of felt, well, this is, nothing's happening. I, I, I've lost touch with everything. I've lost touch with the Lord. And I begin to long for my previous life and my previous ways. But by God's grace, he reminded me that that was a life of death and destruction and allowed me by his grace to head forward again in his direction. Do not settle by looking back like Lot's wife. I'm almost done this morning. But I know you're asking, I've asked this question. Well, then then what, Lord? I, I understand that in my humanness, I can settle. But then how do I prevent it? I mean, there's some parts of my life where I'm charging ahead, but I'm settling here. How do I, how do I prevent that, Lord? I don't want to do that. Or maybe I've just, maybe you just landed right there. Life has dealt you every blow possible. And you just, that's it. That's your life. You settle there. Well, then now what, Lord? How do I get out of this thing? I want to encourage you that the answer is much simpler than you think. I would say this morning that we need to reposition ourselves into the path and flow of God's empowering grace. There's a very, it's actually a weak analogy, but I'm going to use it. When you're at home and you want some water, what do you do? You open the tap and water flows. The reality is, though, you're not the provider of the water, nor are you the source of the water. There was an action involved, though, because if you don't turn the tap, the water is not going to flow. I want to read this thing, this quote from John Piper. It says, we cannot earn God's grace or make it flow apart from his free gift. But we can position ourselves to go on getting should he keep giving. We can fight to walk in the paths where he has promised his blessings. We can ready ourselves for receiving along his regular route, sometimes called the spiritual disciplines. See, over the last three weeks, we've been exercising spiritual disciplines. It's not fancy. In fact, it's unimpressively mundane but spectacularly potent by the Spirit of God. The spiritual disciplines are hearing God's voice, having God's ear, and being with God's people. Otherwise known as 
word, prayer, and fellowship. I can tell you now for a fact that when I look back and I think of those moments where I settled, where I began to look back, I had let those things go. I had let them slip. I no longer was positioning myself in the flow of His grace. I'm going to ask us to stand this morning. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes this morning. I'm going to, some of us, like I needed to do this weekend, need to repent. Because we speak those words, we say them. It's life. It is what it is. What am I going to do about it? And God's word is so clear that he has life in abundance for us through the most challenging of times. Are we willing to position ourselves in the flow of his grace? In the book of Luke, there's a story of these two guys. One one of them, his name is Zacchaeus. He was a really short little guy with a lot of attitude. He desperately wanted an encounter with Jesus. Desperately needed his grace. But he couldn't see him. It was too short, too many people. So what he does, he makes a plan. He says, okay, well, Jesus is going this way. There's a tree. I'm going to climb that tree so I can see him. He couldn't make grace flow, but he could put himself along the path where grace was coming. Jesus sees him. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house tonight. Then we read about blind Bartimaeus. He couldn't earn the restoration of his sight, but he could position himself along the route of grace where Jesus might give the gift as he passed that way. Lord, this morning, I'm sorry that I've allowed myself to settle. You have so much more in store, Lord. You came to give life and life in the full, life to the full, life in abundance, Lord. So aware, Lord, as we've pressed into you these past three weeks, Lord. So aware of the beauty of your spiritual disciplines and how you've inclined your ear to us, Lord. How you've whispered in our ears, God. I don't want to settle. I don't want to settle. We want to position ourselves in the flow of your grace that you so freely give.